Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? The entire region of Middle Tennessee is sick. That's what's going on. Yeah, you guys have schools closed, everything, right? The entire county schools are closed. My children's school is closed. Half of Lifeway, I think, is out sick. It's uh, it's pretty crazy how how hard the flu has hit Middle Tennessee. That's terrible. But I'm I'm it's, well, so yeah, that's all that well, matters. Good for you. <laughs> good for you. It's around here some, but not like that. Yeah, it's so. Uh, I know a lot of people that have been out this week, and a lot of families that have kids that are sick. All my kids got the flu shot, and right now we we are all healthy, so we're doing okay. Well, good. I hope that continues. Yeah, me too. So, speaking of Tennessee, though, our lead story this week, pastor from Tennessee, the one and only Steve Gaines, Southern Baptist Convention president right now, shared his opinions on Baptist hot topics in a meeting with state paper editors out in California this week. Uh, Nothing really groundbreaking or earth-shattering here, but it was good to hear from our SBC president. Yeah, and he kind of covered just a wide range of issues that Southern Baptists have been discussing for the last a few months. And so just having him weigh in on those things, I think uh, was very interesting. And it uh, seems like he, he really struck a unifying voice on a lot of uh, topics. But uh, the Christian Index did a really good summary of his uh, presentation. Yes. And, and you mentioned the unifying voice. There were a lot of these that could have been uh, divisive. Uh, these are divisive issues between Southern Baptists, but I thought his answers to them uh, were, like you said, unifying. So uh, he covered everything from the Trump election, the cabinet appointments, uh, national security and refugees. Uh, He talked about ERLC and IMB, as well as the cooperative programs and 50-50 splits from states. And it kind of, you know, echoed what we had talked about when we covered a lot of those uh, state conventions out in the western part of the United States uh, and and how difficult it would be for many of them really to get to that 50-50 split just because of the low receipts in the states. Yeah, um, that was very interesting. And the whole article was really, uh, was really informative. And one thing I appreciated about it is it looked like he did not sidestep any question. He just answered things very directly. And, uh, it seems like very respectfully just in, uh, talking and being, uh, open and honest with the, the state paper editors. And so I, I, I imagine it was a very good meeting. Yeah. And I know, uh, they had a couple other people speak at that. David Platt spoke at it. Uh, I've got a couple of friends that are out there at the meeting as well, so uh, should get some firsthand reporting uh, from them next week whenever they return back here to Nashville. So we'll see if anything else comes out of that meeting of State Baptist paper editors and executives out in California. They were hosted over at the uh, the new Gateway Seminary campus down there in Ontario. Yeah, that's exciting. I had seen some on um, on social media about uh, Jeff Orge meeting with them, sharing everything that had happened in the move, all the uh, exciting things. So I, I know that had to be great for them to get to see it. Another big story this week from the West Coast, the Washington Supreme Court has ruled against Christian florist uh, Baronel Stutzman and the same-sex marriage uh, case out there. She was the Christian florist, the 72-year-old owner of Arlene's Flowers and Gifts, and uh, she was honored by the ERLC at the Southern Baptist Convention uh, for her stand for religious liberty uh, in this case. Amy, I, I wasn't very surprised by the ruling becoming coming from Washington State. Uh, maybe that's just no, me. Uh, yeah, I think the way this has been going, uh, I think most people were sort of prepared for this. It's still hard, though, uh, to 
to process. Uh, and Baronelle Stutzman is, she's an active member of an SBC church there in Washington. So, uh, this is not just important to us, uh, for issues of religious liberty and learning about them and kind of taking in where we are right now on this, uh, in, in our society, but also she's a Southern Baptist. So that's important to us as well. But yeah, I wasn't surprised. I was at lunch when I started seeing kind of the news break on this and we had a, a really strong discussion. I was at lunch with some coworkers just processing all of it. Um, and I'm sure a lot of conversations are going on as well. The ERLC has already thrown some resources up there, which this is uh, one of the things that they do best is just keeping us on top of issues like this uh, so we can process, but it, we'll see where it goes uh, next. All right, staying out on the West Coast, Amy, there's a story that I know you're going to love. Uh, and it's funny because most of these would be church fights to reopen its homeless shelter. Uh, that would be the, the normal headline, but not yes. this time. Wiley Drake fights to reopen homeless uh, shelter from his church. Amy, give us an update on the Drake. Wiley Drake, pastor of First Southern Baptist Church in uh, Buena Park, California, um, his his church, they had a homeless shelter, and the city condemned it and shut it down. So he is trying to get a restraining order against three city officials there. Now, as you said, most of the time it would just say church in Southern California. But uh, because Wiley Drake is so well-known, and um, he is a former second vice president of the Southern Baptist Convention, but he really is just known for his active engagement as a messenger on an almost annual basis. We did miss him this past year in St. Louis, uh, but it looks like he's continuing ministry. Um, it does seem like the, the shutdown, they did have some uh, issues with code violations, but he is disputing that. So he's very involved wanting to open it up as quickly as possible. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on that one, Amy. Um, always interesting to see Wiley Drake's name in the news. So yes. um, I have to keep an eye on that story and see if there are any uh, developments in that in the future. Moving over to Missouri, Amy, we have a story coming out of there about High Street Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, they have joined the SBC. Now, it wouldn't be a big deal if any just regular church joins the SBC. We have churches that join the SBC and leave the SBC uh, almost monthly, almost weekly, really. And But this one is important because Eddie Lyons is the uh, president of the BBFI, which stands for uh, the Baptist Bible Fellowship International. It's a, it's a group of independent uh, Baptist churches, and he and his church are joining the SBC. Yeah, that is a really big deal. And we do have some independent Baptist churches that that uh, kind of join the SBC often from time to time. But this is a big deal. Coming from the Baptist Bible Fellowship International, there those who are sort of um, Baptist historians would know that the Baptist Bible Fellowship International uh, formed in, it was formed in 1950. It was a result of a dispute with J. Frank Norris. So you want to go back oh, okay. on that? It's very interesting. Very fundamentalist um, that, you know, J. Frank Norris is yeah, uh, the a, former pastor, I think, First Baptist Fort Worth. Is that right? I think shot I a man once so, yes. and got away with it. It's He's got a great story. It's a fascinating story, that's for sure. Um, and Jerry Falwell was affiliated with really? the Baptist Bible Fellowship oh, okay. International at one time. So, you know, there's some history there. So the fact that he is the president of that, the pastor of this church, it's just a big step. So uh, very, very interesting. And the reason for fellowship is mission. 
Uh, we, we talk about yes. the things that, that divide us at times, but the thing that seems to always be the unifying factor here in the SBC is mission. And he's coming to us um, because primarily of the missions that Southern Baptists are doing around the world and here in uh, the United States, as well as what the Missouri Baptist uh, Convention is doing and the local association there, the Green County Baptist Association. So welcome to the SBC, Eddie Lyons and High Street Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Staying in Missouri, Midwestern launched a new in-the-field MDiv program this past week called the Timothy Track. Uh, you can find out more about that over at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's website, mbts.edu. Uh, but just a, a neat little uh, training program that they launched over there for the MDiv, which gives uh, pastors and prospective pastors, I guess, uh, training opportunities in a local church as well as the seminary classroom. So kind of a neat yes. thing there. Staying in the States, moving over to Kentucky, Governor Bevin. Uh, we've talked about him probably more than any other governor, maybe Robert Bentley. He and Robert Bentley have been like the two governors we've talked about the most here on the program. Uh, but this yeah. usually it's, it's good things for Governor Bevin. Uh, and this one is good as well. Paul Chitwood presented him last week with the Guardian of Life Award in the Capitol Rotunda last Wednesday, February the 8th. Yeah, so this was a big deal, and we talked about this uh, when it happened. So uh, for the KBC to kind of speak up and to honor him, that's uh, completely understandable. And it's a great thing. It's an opportunity to recognize uh that level of advocacy and to thank him for what he's doing yeah. for life. Yeah, and you mentioned it. We talked about it last month on the podcast. He signed two major pro-life bills into law, one that required women to undergo ultrasounds before having abortion and the other that banned late-term abortion. So there's been some legal debate with the Kentucky Attorney General. We even mentioned that on the episode uh, when we talked about this. But uh, it's, it's good to see Kentucky Baptists standing up for life and uh, thanks again to Governor Matt Bevin, a big friend of Southern Baptists in Kentucky. We mentioned it on last week's episode. NAM uh, had their trustee meeting. Lifeway had our trustee meeting as well. Uh, so we're going to cover those trustee meetings. We have reports, full reports from each of them this week on the podcast. Uh, Amy, why don't you cover the NAM one for us and I'll take care of Lifeway. Yeah, okay. So a lot of stuff coming out of the NAM oh, yeah. uh, trustee meeting. And, and usually we do see a lot of kind of new things. One was that they um, they approved a plan for NAM to purchase existing property for ministry hubs. Uh, so this is one in Clarkston, Georgia, which will be located in Clarkston International Bible Church, in Memphis, Tennessee, Leewood Baptist Church, and a property in Ashland, Kentucky uh, for Appalachia ministry work. And so they would be ministry hubs that serve their areas and um, can be part of, you know, connected with mission teams that go so very interesting. That's a part of Send Relief. Uh, we'll we'll link to the Baptist Press story in the show notes uh, so that you can see more details on that. Um, a few other things, obviously, uh, just the, the normal budget. Also on the budget, their revenue is on budget and expenses are below budget. So that's a good thing. We look at these entity budgets, and after the uh, the issue we had, uh, it's good to hear that you know budgets are in line at NAM as well. Yes. So, but the ministry hubs—that's kind of the big thing that's coming out of this. And uh, we had seen another article pop up about the one in Clarkson, Georgia, from the Christian Index that kind of described it a little bit more. It will be interesting to see how the Ashland, Kentucky hub and the Memphis, Tennessee hub are going to uh, how how those will be set up as well. 
One thing at the bottom of this release talks about a new Three Circles Church Kit, uh, which helps pastors train members how to turn conversation towards Jesus. It's an evangelism uh, partnership uh, that they have. And, and Jimmy Scroggins and Family Church down there in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida, they helped develop this Three Circles idea and plan. So uh, that's, that's kind of cool to see uh, an evangelism resource coming out of NAM. Also talking about the Crossover Crusade in Phoenix. Uh, on the Sunday prior to the SBC annual meeting on June 11th. Um, that that's something else that was approved and discussed at the trustee meeting. Moving over to Lifeway, kind of an uneventful trustee meeting, which, you know, if you work at Lifeway, that's a good thing, I guess. Um, but I guess so, but it, that's, it's uneventful to you because you've been seeing all this stuff no, about that's, the new that's building. A good point. That's a good point. But, but to people who are seeing the news, I'm looking at this story from BP right now with the artist rendering of the building, the comment about the stained glass windows from Van Ness going over to the new building. That's kind of fun stuff. So yeah. I, you know, I know that's sort of old hat to you all who are in the building every day. Uh, but I think that's a cool part of the meeting. Yep, it is. And uh, we've talked about the CSB here on the podcast, and uh, we continue to see more and more and more about that. And Trevin Wax had a really good presentation about that and the differences in the CSB and the HCSB and where the CSB ranks you know, uh, and readability versus uh, other translations in the market. So there's a lot of information out there. If you get a chance and there's a Lifeway representative doing any kind of breakout at any uh, Baptist event that you go to, whether it be something, uh, I know we have one at the Leading Change Conference coming up in North Carolina, or if you're at TGC and there's something about the CSB, I highly encourage you to go and find out for yourself uh, the differences there and the changes that are being made and how the CSB is uh, what we found the most readable and the most accurate translation out there on the market. Uh, other actions in the trustee meeting was uh, nomination of Ron Edmondson to the Lifeway board, yeah. uh, filling a trustee vacancy created when Tim Turner went over to the West Virginia uh, State Baptist Convention. He's working over there, came from Kentucky, so we had a Kentucky opening, and Ron Edmondson will be filling that. So uh, that, we're excited about having him on the board. And then we also responded to some motions that came from the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, the full text of those will be in the book of reports that go to uh, the SBC in June. Excellent. Can I ask you one question about the new building? You can. Is that office that is like the replica, or not replica, but the whole setup of the... The frost? Um, yes. Is that office going to go somewhere in the new building? I, the elements of it are, I don't know what the exact plans of that, but we have a historical team that has uh, worked on incorporating historical elements from Lifeway into the yes. new building. So I'm not sure if the exact office replica will be like it is now over there. Uh, but yes. I know that some of the elements of it are moving to the new building. I I'm not quite sure of the specifics, though. Excellent. That's one of my favorite parts about the Lifeway building. So for our listeners who haven't been, there is a, a, a place where there's an office that's set up uh, that is just like it's a replica of J.M. Frost's office. Mm -hmm. and In the so corner of the neat. downtown First Baptist Church here. And they just moved it yeah. over all the bricks and everything. It's kind of cool. Yeah, so it's just kind of neat. It's it's almost like this just piece of a history museum sort of right there in the corner. So yeah. I like that idea that you guys are taking pieces of Lifeway history over there because, as you know, I do love Baptist history. You do, and one of the funny things about that office, whenever we were looking to create a podcast studio for uh, Dr. Rayner when we started Rayner on Leadership about three and a half years ago, or almost four years ago now, I, I, that was my first recommendation is that this room is not being used so we could just set up our chairs in here and, <gasps> and that one got shot down in a hurry. 
as it should have. Well, I mean, we, we could have just sat in there, wheeled in my cart, and recorded. That's what I was trying to do. I was look, trying to find a space that was not well-trafficked and that was quiet, and that met both criteria. That would have looked like when you see those uh, movies that have, like, it's supposed to be set way back, and then they put something in it. That doesn't that's fit. from like yeah. 1985, but it was set in you know 1882 or something, and it doesn't fit right. You could take a picture and it would look like that. Yeah, but I'm I I agree with whoever shot you down. I think it was Amy J. and Amy T. <laughs> um, so there we go, yeah. solidarity between yeah. the three Amys. Yeah, and Amy W. as well. All right, moving yes. over to Georgia. We talked about this story when it originally happened. Uh, Georgia pastor Eric Walsh, he was a lay minister for the public health department uh, in Georgia, was fired because of his beliefs and because of sermon samples and things like that. That's right. And, and he sued the state, received a $225,000 settlement from the state based on discrimination from his lawsuit. Yeah, so, you know, there's some connections made. It was kind of like the Atlanta Fire Chief Calvin Cochran. Yeah. And the story draws the connections to that. Um, but it's clear that, that they're grateful that, uh, that, that everything is over. And, and it's interesting that we're seeing this happen the same week, uh, that the case in Washington, uh, that the Supreme Court rules up there. So these conversations about religious liberty, while no, we aren't experiencing the persecution that many experience in other places around the world, we are wrestling with religious liberty questions every single day in all these different aspects, and these are things that need to get fleshed out. All right, we got some research, Amy. Lifeway Research talking about Lent, and that's coming up starts on March the 1st, I believe, because Mardi Gras is February the 28th. So I always know when Lent starts because I know when Mardi Gras is. So, you know, most people connect like they take Easter and count backwards to Lent. Most people aren't from Louisiana. I don't hear too many people say, when is Mardi Gras? It's, yes. You, you must be like how I learned to calculate certain things with Derby Day. Okay. Yeah, and so I would learn how to calculate certain other things from where it was in relation to Derby Day. So I guess it's similar, regional, but I've never connected yes. it to Mardi Gras before. Well, it's it's only connected to Mardi Gras because I grew up in Louisiana. So, I mean, yes. you know, Lent and Mardi Gras, they kind of, they do go together, in fact. Uh, so Major anyway. indulgence and then. Yes, of course. All right, so what do you give up for Lent? And 57% of people who observe Lent said fast from favorite food or beverage. 57% also said they attend more church services. Uh, They pray more, uh, 39%. Give to others, 38%. Fast from a bad habit, 35%. Fast from a favorite activity, 23%. And none, if they observe Lent, they don't do any of those. Uh, must be something else, uh, just 5%. But those that observe Lent, only 24% of Americans Observe Lent. Yes, yeah, 76% said no. And again, remember, this was a web survey, web-based survey of all Americans. So, yeah, that's not really that surprising, I don't think. Yeah, only 24% um, sur- do it. But it was interesting. It said 43% of those who attend church at least once a month observe Lent. And that's Catholic or Protestant. Um, it is uh, it, those with evangelical beliefs, about 28% observe Lent. So obviously Catholic, uh, that that's much more, it, it's very entrenched in their yeah, tradition. 61%. So 61%. Yeah. yeah. Remain most likely to observe Lent. So it's, it's interesting. I certainly hear more about it now mm-hmm. than I used to in the past. Um, I'm intrigued by the, in the, the, how do you typically observe it? Fasting from a favorite food or beverage. That's what I always would hear people. I yeah, think giving it's up funny coffee, that people, giving up chocolate, something like that. Yeah. I think it's funny when people say they fast from a bad habit because 
it seems like we just should stop. Or don't we just want to stop bad habits? Like, I, I guess they're talking about like they, they don't smoke or they don't drink or something for 40 days. Okay, that's I guess so, but that's kind of funny the way that's... Yeah. Um, that, pe- that people would say that. like They'd rather fast stop, from it and stop then stop the bad habit for a little while. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to put it on pause, and then I'll jump right back into it after Easter. Yeah. Um, just kind of funny. But... So the question is then, Amy, do you observe Lent? Um, I have not really much in the past. One thing I do intend to do this year is I have a book that has some readings that match up with Lent, and I um, I think I'm going to do some of that this year, very similar to Advent readings. So I do intend to do some of that this year, but I have not typically observed Lent in yes. the past. Okay. All right. Well, I'm the same way. I don't really typically observe Lent. However, I do always make it a point to pick up a, like, atonement or cross or resurrection-based book and read that this year. I'm going to be talking about this book right here that I'm holding that you can see uh, later in the episode, though. So uh, I remember the first year I did that was uh, In My Place Condemned He Stood by Al Mohler and J.I. Packer. That was the first one I've done. I've done three or four others since then. So that's kind of my observance, quote-unquote, of Lent. But, uh, you know, I'm I'm more of the fan of the, the Mardi Gras celebration beforehand because it involves king cake. Not as much the parades and all that that comes with Mardi Gras, but the king cake during uh, the season. So, yeah. Very nice. Do Louisiana you get boy. the plastic baby? Yes. You put the plastic baby in there? It, okay. Yes. I mean, it's, that's, how it, that's how it always goes. I mean. Very interesting. So. And it's really hard to find king cakes in Tennessee. Let me just throw that out there. So. Interesting. All right, well, that's going to do it for our news this week. Uh, Amy, that's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. Well, we're going to go back to 1948 to a very interesting letter that was reported on in the Baptist Press. Um, And it was a letter from uh, General Douglas MacArthur. um, And it was sent to Louis Newton, president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, I'm going to link to the BP article from that time, from that week, this was a February 18th um, issue. But when I did some digging, and so if you're interested, you can start digging around. I would Google Douglas MacArthur, Louis Newton. You'll find there actually were a lot of other letters. So they they wrote some letters to each other going back to 1946. Yeah, 1946, (laughs) 1950, a lot. But this one's very interesting. Um, Douglas MacArthur, and a lot's been written about him and his faith, he uh, he said in this letter that the solution of Japanese problems largely rests upon the spiritual reformation of the Japanese people and expressed belief that Christian influences rapidly are bearing fruit. And uh, so he, he starts talking about the need for help from American churches, um, help for uh, need of food and clothing, just all of these things. He says, such help from victor to vanquished not only provides for the bodily comfort, but it leaves a lasting impression upon the human spirit as well. This is of incalculable aid in advancing our purpose and securing our cause. Uh, but he also talks about as well that the influences um, of the church, that they're bearing fruit. And apart from the great numbers who are coming formally to embrace the Christian faith, a whole population is coming to understand, practice, and cherish its underlying principles and ideals. So to just see uh, General MacArthur's interest for the church to have an influence there uh, with the Japanese people post-World uh, War II, and uh, then to kind of, as I said, do a little bit more digging, and you find it, uh, I didn't bring all the links of the other letters just because 
I found them in like footnotes of papers that had been written or just other kind of random things. Uh, but then to see that he had these regular uh, letters or semi-regular letters with the president of the Southern Baptist Convention about the impact that the faith community could have around the world and the impact that American churches could have. Um, I was really impressed by that. I, I was I was touched by that. And I'm sure we have listeners out there who have maybe an even better sense of this particular history than I do. So uh, if anyone has more information, they should send it send it our way because uh, I thought this was pretty cool. But, um, you know, we're at a time where a lot of discussions are happening about um, not just sort of America's connection with the rest of the world, but we're also talking a lot about missions around the world. And so I thought it would be good to share a very interesting letter uh, that was reported on this week in SBC History. All right, a couple of notes. Uh, there is a note at the bottom of this story, or not this story, but I guess this issue of Baptist Press, about the state Baptist paper uh, editors meeting. So it's, yes, it's, it's been that. happening this week for 50, 60 years. <laughs> Yes, it's been going on for a long time. They met in Biloxi, in Biloxi, Mississippi, and I saw that as well. Yeah, that's kind of neat. So uh, to know that 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 meeting's going on yesterday, today, and and was going on also back in, you know, 1948, almost 70 years ago. So um, that's that's neat that it's it's this week as well. And I got a follow-up from last week. Okay. So we talked last week about TruthQuest California, and I mentioned that I was trying to track down everybody. Well, guess what? I found them all. You found uh, them all. I found them all. found all 12 of them. Facebook is a beautiful yes. thing. So I found them all last week. I was able to make contact with a few of them, and I'm going to work on setting up a possible Skype reunion-ish uh, type thing. And Jonathan Merritt said that you know he might even uh, write an article about it, about the 15-year-old TruthQuest California uh, experience. So Because his brother was involved in that. So it was kind of interesting that you know some people kind of saw it and like, wow, I can't believe it's been 15 years. And um, some of them were more proud of it than others. It's pretty funny. I like that. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. You got to make sure, because I'm not always in the interviews, but if you're going to do a oh, big Skype totally session with everybody, yeah. I want in. We're totally, totally getting you in on that. So uh, that would that would be a fun one to do, just to hear some of the stories and stuff. I'm hoping to pull that off in the next few months. We'll hopefully have that for July uh, that marked the 15-year anniversary. So... That's going to bring us to our resources of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is? It's a really cool project that I saw um, this week that popped up that the National Archives is doing. It's called um, Transcribe, and it's a citizen archivist program. And so the National Archives in uh, Washington, D.C. has a ton. They have uh, tons and tons of digitized pages of records. So letters from presidents, um, all types of uh, things that were maybe typewritten that they have scanned, but they need it to be entered in a way that is more searchable. Uh, so they are getting citizens all across the United States involved. Basically, you just go into the catalog, you make a username and password, you log in, you start a transcription mission, and you just go and you add contributions. So I saw it, I checked it out, and I thought, well, that's just pretty neat. Um, it looks like it's going to go on for a while, so my life's a little bit crazy right now uh, with uh, middle schoolers and school that I'm doing myself and work, but I'm hoping maybe one day I can do something to contribute to this because I think projects like this are great and are great opportunities for citizens to get involved. So it's like citizen crowdsourcing and civil service. Basically, yes. Yes. This is cool. Um, 
Yeah, so it's it's really, really neat. I mean, there's all kinds of things from uh, presidents, um, just legal uh, legal papers, things like that. There's a letter. I saw a letter from Albert Einstein and the Emergency Committee of Atomic Scientists, and you just go in. The president's addressed the United Nations uh, from 1961, so that would have been John Kennedy. Uh, just tons and tons of records. And they need it, and we have tons of people. And so it's just a way for uh, us to contribute to the, the preservation of history. Oh, they have a transcription mission about first ladies, Amy. Yes, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Amy's got all of those bookmarked. All right. Well, that, that's yes. kind of neat. I'm, I may have to just sign up and do one just to say I did it. So that, that's kind of cool. I know. I think it's cool. So people should contribute. That's really, really neat. All right. Well, very cool. I, I didn't even know that existed, so... Thanks for bringing that to light. All right. Uh, my resource of the week is my Lent book, a Lenten book or whatever, resurrection book leading up to it that I always read. And I, this one just came in this week. I'm excited about it. I'm a big fan of Christopher Wright and his book, Knowing Jesus Through the Old Testament. It was one of the books I read in seminary. Very good book. One of my favorite books that I had to read in seminary. And he's got a new one out called To the Cross, Proclaiming the Gospel from the Upper Room to Calvary. So it takes you from the Upper Room to Calvary. And, uh, you know, just walks through all that. And I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. Short little read, only about 140 pages. So not a very long one. Easy enough to read in 40 days leading up from Lent to Easter. Excellent. That sounds good. I'll have to check that out. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Got big week next week, Amy. You know what next week is? Executive Committee. Executive Committee here in Nashville, Tennessee. So the SBC royalty will be descending on Nashville next week, and it uh, should be some fun. Uh, be to see a lot of friendly faces. Uh, who's coming over from Southeastern? Bruce? Dr. Uh, Aiken? I know Dr. Aiken. I know Dr. Aiken. I just saw him, and he was headed that way, and I'm not sure who else uh, will be there, but right. uh, we will definitely have some folks there. More than likely, Di uh, Ryan Hutchinson and Dr. Bruce Ashford, and maybe yes, one or two others. Yes, they there. So yeah, they're usually awesome. here. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing some friends. Clark Logan will be over here from NAM and Dr. Adam Greenway from Southern and, and who knows who else will be here in town. So it should be fun Let's to see if there's anything big coming out of the executive committee. I, I'm not quite sure what to expect. You never know uh, what may happen uh, when Southern Baptists get together. So uh, we'll, we'll be tweeting from that. And uh, as much as I can, I, I've got to leave midday on Tuesday, but uh, we'll be tweeting and, and getting out as much information as possible those first couple of days. So make sure you follow us at SBC This Week on Twitter. Uh, check us out on Facebook as well. And as always, if anything big, big, big breaks, uh, we'll put that up on the website at sbcthisweek.com. So thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next week. See you next week. See you next week.